Hello, Dr. Dyke Drummond here at the home of TheHappyMD.com in beautiful Seattle, Washington. Welcome to the latest episode of the Physicians on Purpose podcast. Tools so you can recognize and prevent your own burnout. Stories of burnout put to its highest and best use and wellness leadership strategies. Everything you need to be a physician on purpose. Hey, this is Dr. Dyke Drummond at the home of The Happy MD in beautiful Seattle, Washington, with the latest edition of the Physicians on Purpose podcast. Today, we're going to get some answers to the question, how do you make positive change in the healthcare workplace? Because I know a lot of you are, are basically torqued by the way things don't work. And you may have had people come around with Lean or Six Sigma or any one of the other process change technologies that are out there and make things even worse. So today's guest is David Dibble. He has developed a change and a process improvement process called the 3D change model that is actually making positive change in real healthcare workplaces. And what we're going to do is talk a little bit about what you have to do and what you have to avoid if you're going to do process improvement and make things better for you who are seeing patients in the front lines in a healthcare workplace. So David, welcome to the podcast. Tell us a little bit about your experience in process improvement before you made your own process. Tell us a little bit about what's out there that people are probably not pleased with and what lessons we can learn about what not to do from things that don't work. Well, uh, thank you so much for having me, Dyke. Um, well, way back when, uh, in the early 1980s, um, I started studying the work of W. Edwards Deming. And he's probably the number one quality guru ever, credited with turning Japan around after World War II and the Ford Motor Company in the 1980s. But anyway, I was very intrigued with this whole uh, systems-based uh, process improvement model. And I implemented it in my own company, and we had uh, really outstanding um, results from uh, doing that. Uh, later on, when I started consulting and training, uh, it was primarily uh, using the Deming uh, model. And we had successes, my, uh, my clients had successes, but I found that actually implementing uh, Deming's work to be incredibly difficult. It was like pulling teeth, you know, pushing the rock up the hill. Well, and if I can stop you for just a second, what is it about the Deming process, Deming's Lean Six Sigma? What is it that all of these currently popular process improvement models have? What is the piece of it that blocks it from being easy to implement? Uh, I think the, the starting point is it's top down. You'll see that, uh, you know, whether it's a C-suite or the owner or um, but basically somebody, you know, near the top in leadership decides they need a quality program. And so they uh, pick out whatever program it's going to be, whether, you know, it's uh, back in the day, it was Deming and then that morphed to TQM and then that morphed to reengineering. And then on came uh, Six Sigma and Lean and Lean Sigma and Baldridge. And we could go on. There we go. On. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, none of them uh, have worked in healthcare. Well, and, and can I be a little more specific? Because everybody's going to be familiar with this. How many times 
in your work experience has somebody from management come in and told you what you're supposed to be doing that's different than what you're doing now. And the reason they're there is because they want to improve the process. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I think that's been the formula that the failed formula that healthcare has tried to use for over the last 30, 35 years. And uh, it becomes, you know, one program after another, and pretty soon it's the flavor of the month. And what we see is that the people who have to implement, which are the people on the front lines, uh, they become incredibly discouraged about another top-down program coming in. I mean, they're already working, uh, you know, incredible hours, and uh, this just like one more thing piled on top of everything else. And I think one of the main reasons that uh, some of these programs are actually pretty good, it's just we can't implement. And one of the big reasons is that the people who have to do the implementation uh, are not on board for uh, how uh, these uh, programs are normally implemented, which is using what I would call a push strategy. So some expert comes in and says, okay, we're going to push this uh, down into the lower levels and where it's going to become a part of how you do your work and your process and that sort of thing. But And they're looking for buy-in. And the problem is they don't get it. So people, you know, they do what people do when they're just are not on board to do these sorts of things. Uh, They may nod their heads yes, but they really mean no. There may be uh, passive aggressive behavior. Some people may just refuse. And and so um, we can't implement um, these programs. And if I if I can interrupt just really quickly, one of the things that I've noticed, and and that is almost certainly the baseline key to all of this, is on any given day in any given healthcare workplace, every single person who's on deck is is maxed out, maxed out one hundred and ten percent. We're not sitting around waiting for you to come in and add to our workload because that additional piece could be the last straw for a certain percentage of folks in your office. You know, you add in one more procedure in the front office and one of your receptionists quits. So always assume bandwidth is 110% occupied in any healthcare workplace. And the other principle I'll, I'll just put out here, one of the things we teach is stopping doing something that doesn't work is a valid a valid step to take in process improvement to free up bandwidth and to relieve the pressure on people. Carry on, David. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, one of the things that I mentioned top down as being one of the things that you mentioned bandwidth, of course, one of the things we see in healthcare is uh, it's really hard uh, to get people's time. They're already at 110%. And so, you know, the idea that they are going to, you know, be marched, you know, into a room or something like that, or even let's a, have a meeting. <laughs> yeah. And you, you'll see it. I mean, I, I saw particularly when I first started doing uh, quality improvement work, you know, these people would come in and uh, they're at the back of the room with their arms crossed. <laughs> and, you know, you can tell they're next to the exits. They're looking for, you know, anything to get out of the room. Uh, you know, checking their phones. I mean, it's just, you can tell. I mean, they're just absolutely not something that they want to do. And so they don't do it. Uh, In looking at, uh, I actually took about 18 months at one point, and I looked at all of the reasons why uh, the perfectly good programs don't work in healthcare. And 
kind of figured out a way, okay, well, top down. So that means if it doesn't work top down, then it probably has to be bottom up. And so that became one of the key things, you know, in, in the, the 3D process, which we'll talk about in, in, uh, in a few minutes. The, the other one was that normally the, when we would go in and do systems work, the focus would be on the systems, not on the people. And Einstein, you know, made a, a great comment. He says, you can't solve problems with the same thinking used to create them. And so here we are, we're all working on the systems and working on the systems. We got the systems up here and we're identifying the critical 20% and we're doing all of that stuff that you see in all of these programs. But nobody is doing any of the work to expand the people's mindsets and to grow the people and to take care of the people. And you have to do that. You can't do just half of the, half of the process. You've got to do both. We've got to be growing our people and uh, we have to be fixing the systems at the same time in order for any of it to be sustainable. Amen, brother. And so that turned out to be probably the most important thing was realizing there's sort of like two halves to this sustainable whole of systems and process improvement. And I would also say culture improvement, um, particularly in healthcare. And that you've got to do both. You can't do one or the well, other. Well, and let's talk about what's at stake here, because one thing's true. There's a whole bunch of things that you can change about a healthcare workplace that'll make a difference in the quality and, and the ease of, of getting your job done. There's, just, there's so much low-hanging fruit, but everyone's overwhelmed. And there's been so many of these failed improvement processes that my concern is I walk into healthcare workplaces all the time where the rank and file, the people that are there, the doctors, the MAs, the nurses, the receptionists, everybody in the building has lost faith that positive change is possible. They've just given up and they're grinding through their day. So uh, to be clear, bottom up means we ask you what you want and we give you what you need. Does that make sense? Yes. And it's exactly um, what the new model looks at. Uh, we don't start with the systems. We start with the right people. On. And, you know, 3D, uh, you know, it stands for discovery, distillation, and defining. And discovery is basically starting with the stresses that have been passed on to the people by stressed out systems. And it's passed on to them as uh, emotional stress and it's long-term emotional stress. That's the primary root cause of the new pandemic of no. that we're seeing. <laughs> well, <laughs> I think what's happening is it's just now it's, it's just, it's accelerating, right? You know? Yeah. We start by basically gathering uh, the stress data from uh, the people that uh, are working in these highly stressed systems. And that actually turns out to be a bit of a healing process because you know we know if people can talk about their issues and not only see that they can talk about them, but somebody heard what they had to say. And now we're starting to look at taking right action to resolve yep. uh, those issues. I think it does give them a sense of hope uh, that maybe this is different this time. Right. And, and that's so important. To, it's one thing to complain uh, if you have no other outlet. It's another thing to 
give feedback and recognize that you're being heard. And now I'll just point out, ideally, you're heard by somebody more than the person who's working the project. Like ideally, somebody up the chain of command from them also cares and wants to know how you're doing. But that's one of the keys in our system, too, is is make stress a criteria for prioritizing your improvement process. You want to ask the people what's stressing them out, what's in the way of them doing a good job, taking good care of their patients and remove those obstacles rather than bring an improvement and improvement. I'm putting, using my quote fingers here for those of you who are on audio. Improvement in quotes project that's based just on squeezing profit. Yes, um, I think that's absolutely right on the money, Dyke. The starting with the stress and the issues and um, the concerns of uh, the people who are actually delivering care. That's absolutely critical because if we can't get them, and it's not about trying to get them to buy into anything, what we wanna do is to create genuine ownership. So rather than you know, us as experts coming in and you know, somehow imparting our sage wisdom and that sort of thing, no, we're going to basically expand people's thinking and their skill sets into doing what they've always wanted to do, but had never been allowed to do, which is fix the systems, you know, using a process that's simple and it's fast. And, you know, they get real results in a relatively short period of time. And of course, this builds confidence. They go, oh my gosh, I can make a difference. You know, instead of complaining about this, you know, I can actually fix right, it. And you told me that in the institutions where the 3D process, this change in your thought process, change in the stance of management towards the people that are seeing patients, you said that it takes hold in a way that it can actually grow spontaneously. People begin to take on the thought process and it spreads within the institution. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, um, a big part of the 3D model is it uses a pull strategy. So we don't push anybody on anything. And we do that because people come along at their own pace or they won't come. When we use a pull strategy, uh, we basically will be, we're facilitating, you know, what, what uh, is happening, but we're not uh, pushing or directing anything. And so when people start to experience their successes in fixing their problems, solving their problems, making things better, they talk about it. And so what we find is that sticking with the pull strategy, we never decide where we're going to go to work. Uh, we basically let people talk about it. And the next thing you know, you'll have other departments, uh, both across the organization and up and down the organization saying, hey, well, what about us? When do we get to do this? And so it grows organically. And it's not a matter of, you know, trying to decide where you're going to work other than, well, for instance, at UAB Medicine, where they've been doing this for about three years, they now have more people clamoring, you know, for facilitators to come in and help them in their areas than they have resources to do it. And so that's a good problem for a hospital. To right. Have. And, and uh, word gets around the grapevine of a department over here. Right. Let's say that it's the neonatal intensive care unit says, hey, they did a process with us and we're now doing 14,000 less clicks a month. When you have 
that kind of stuff going through the grapevine, you're going to have other departments say, hey, can you come and do something with ours? Right. So, and you just mentioned something. So 3D is something that a person can get certified to be a facilitator in or something like that, right? Yes. We have a train the trainer facilitator certification program. Uh, It's an online program. And the idea is if we're going to really make a difference in healthcare, we need thousands of people, <laughs> both internal and external, right. you know, to uh, the hospitals facilitating this model, whether we're in primary care, or whether you're in the hospital or whether you're in, you know, rural, whatever, wherever. It's so big. And, and you know, the problem is not just in the U.S., it's global, you know, the burnout problem. And, you know, so we we very uh, quickly realized that this is, can't be, you know, us uh, coming in, you know, I mean, there's, there's just no leverage in it. This has to be you guys right. doing the work. And so we, uh, we just started uh, taking uh, the uh, certification program out into the world in January. And uh, it's just in its infancy, but our hope is that there'll be uh, thousands of people trained in uh, 3D facilitation, you know, over time. Right. And just to be clear, I'm always looking for things that work. And I met David on um, LinkedIn and we had a conversation last week about what he's doing and how it's working. It aligns totally with the principles that we teach. I have no financial relationship with David. I just want you to know what I want to do is get the word out about something that works. And I think part of the reason it works is that David's experience does not come from healthcare. So let, let me just ask you a quick question, David. You've had your own companies. You've run the process in your own companies that were not in healthcare. So as an outsider, what is your experience? What are the things that, that strike you about the culture and the systems of a healthcare workplace that you have found you originally were surprised by? I can't believe you people in healthcare are like this. Tell me a couple, <laughs> tell me a couple of those observations. I think one of the uh, the things that I was surprised by is the way um, healthcare is, uh, I don't want to call it structured because it's more of a cultural thing than a structure. But uh, you see, you've got uh, the people at the top and the people at the top, they are basically for-profit big business leaders and they are doing what they have to do in order to keep their jobs, really. And that's the focus on operations and profitability. It's very transactional. You know, when I think about healthcare, I think of, you know, caring and, you know, <laughs> you know, you think oh, about, come uh, on. <laughs> well, you kind of do, you know, but man alive. I mean, you get in there and you find out right away that, you know, particularly at the top and in admin and stuff like that. No, this is about making money. And it's not because these are bad people. It's because they have to be about making money or they're not going to have a job. So there's the top. And then we've got um, the physicians. And the physicians, you know, uh, when they come out of med school, and honestly, I look at med school and residency, and I mean, I had no idea what an arduous uh, process that is. I mean, I just, it, it reminded me of like a fraternity hell week that goes on for seven years, years minimum, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't even know how, how you <laughs> physicians do it. I don't. And so now we've got the physicians and the physicians 
are kind of like, you know, the lords of the land as far as care delivery right. goes. <laughs> At least they're supposed right. to be. Now we've got, you know, the insurance companies and stuff that are coming in and making things, uh, you know, worse in that particular area, in my opinion. But they're kind of the lords. And then we have the serfs. <laughs> and the serfs are the nurses. And the MAs and, and the receptionists and everybody else. Yeah, right? yeah. And then and all the rest of the care team. So, you know, we have, I know that we're calling providers. I hate that term as an outsider. They're not providers, they're physicians, they're doctors. And so the doctors and the physicians, uh, they basically they run sort of the whole care delivery thing. And uh, they basically tell everybody what to do for the most part. And I will just say this, I was very surprised by the informality of uh, these care delivery systems and communication systems between the physicians and uh, the nurses and the rest of the care team. I mean, it's so much of it is so informal and creates so many communication problems for everybody. And when you say informal, you mean like generic conversations in the office and that kind of stuff? Yeah, or lack wow, thereof. Okay. You know, I mean, one of the things in doing systems work, you find out that if something isn't formalized, it's going to have a ton of variation right. in it. And the more variation, the worse the system and the worse your outcomes are going to be. And so when you see uh, these very informal communication systems, you know, I mean, even trying to get... Uh, you know, uh, the teams, you know, to have a, a formal huddle. <laughs> Good or, luck with that. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, in surgery, you know, trying to, you know, everybody wants to make sure everything's there, you know, so the surgeon could be successful. But, you know, trying to get a check sheet into the ORs. I mean, it's just amazing. Yeah, there's a <laughs> how difficult. There's a best-selling book, you know, the Checklist Manifesto that is pushed that is pushed yes. that into reality a little more. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. On the front lines, we're basically a cottage industry, and the doctor's in the room with the patient while the staff is running around outside. The doctor sneaks out of the room for 15 seconds and pops into the other one because, of course, the doctor is 45 minutes behind and seeing 25 patients today. So that is the pressure of the of the business managers at the top pushing volume to drive profits in, in the front line. So yeah, just all of these mismatches. Let me ask you this. When it comes to complexity and you've had businesses, what industry were you in when you owned your businesses? We were working primarily, uh, well, actually both. We were working in the uh, interconnect device arena. We were manufacturing high-end uh, interconnect devices for both the aerospace okay. industry and for a okay. high-end computer rocket science. The guy's a rocket scientist and manufacturer. <laughs> no. Okay, hang on a second. Hang on a second, David, just a second. You, so you're manufacturing high-end communication doctors devices for aerospace. Which is more complex, your manufacturing business or healthcare? Well, I mean, from a manufacturing uh, standpoint, you would probably say our business was more complex. But when we, in the reality, when you look at healthcare, it's way, way more, more complex. complex. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. Because that's what I tell people. So I'm working with a CEO. I, I do this all the time, right? I, I'm meeting a CEO or a CMO of a four hospital system. So they got four full service hospitals in four different communities in two states, 1,500 employed physicians across all specialty, inpatient and outpatient. There is no more complex industry 
There is no more complex array of services and capacities in existence than a healthcare system like that. And at every individual node of each and every workplace, there's so much we could do differently and do better. Yes. Um, one of the things that uh, I've seen um, back when I look at what I would call the most complex, let's talk about the most complex manufacturing that I'm aware of. It's primarily in the area of integrated circuit right. technology. And, you know, some of this stuff is so complex, you know, you're working, you know, at the nano level and, you know, that sort of thing. But what you see in that incredibly complex process for delivering integrated circuits is that the systems are so tight that it almost is not very complex well, and there's at all. very little human interaction inside the systems. These are tech, no. these are tech devices. Yes. And... The difference is, so in healthcare, we have an incredibly complex system, but the systems for delivering your product and service, which is healthcare, are not tight at right. all. Uh, matter of fact, I will just say this, the care delivery systems that uh, I have seen in healthcare in general are as bad as any systems I've ever seen in any industry. And I'm talking about even you know early stage startup uh, companies. Well, and and what we're talking about is basically what I, the way I describe it is it's two different teams. There's the C-suite and the management class that's playing one game for one purpose that is scored with a scorecard card called a profit and loss statement, right? And the other side is a wet interface between humans, doctors, nurses, and the patient. It's a wet interface of communications with all the complexity there. We standardize it as much as we can, but you can't avoid, you can't just create, like you said, a system solution to a person-to-person -person interface. You have to support the people, let them know you have their back, ask them what's stressing them out, get on it, prove to them that positive improvement and positive changes in the workplace are possible and do it in a way that grows organically by improving people's capacity to ask the right questions of the folks in the front line. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. I mean, one of the things that we know that 94% approximately, this is dimming, uh, approximately 94% of the outcomes we get in any industry uh, and in healthcare are a function of the systems in which people work, not the efforts of the care providers. Now, this, when you think about healthcare, this takes nothing away from the heroic efforts that we see from the nurses and the, the, the docs and the care teams. However, it's still a fact that about 94%, uh, good and bad, is a function of the systems in which they work. And so if we want to improve healthcare, particularly healthcare delivery, you've got to do the systems work. It's not a matter of, you know, getting people together and having another meeting and pounding your fist on the table and no more errors. And I mean, you know, <laughs> and, <laughs> it's this, there is kind of a, um, I'm just going to call it, you know, it, it looks like there's a lot of systems, but they're very informal. Right. right. Well, let's put a wrap on this. So today we've been talking to David Dibble. His website is thenewagreements.com, V-T-H-E, thenewagreements.com. We've been talking about the 3D change model, which is avoids a lot of the challenges to other 
process improvement technology. It's bottom up, starts with listening. It's pull oriented. When people want them to come in and to do a project in your department, they ask, we don't push things on you that you're not looking for, right? And it's always focused on reducing stress, spreads organically, makes a difference. So check it out. And David, what else would you like people to know before we wrap for today? I have, I have hope. Uh, UAB Medicine has been running 3D for about three and a half years now. And just uh, they published an article about that. But more importantly, uh, they are submitting two uh, peer-reviewed papers on 3D to major cool. journals probably as early as this week for publication in probably the next 60 to 90 days. And my hope is that that will open up a little bit, maybe even a crack. I would take that uh, to mainstream healthcare uh, to 3D. Right on. Right on. Well, David, thank you so much for your time and your energy. Thanks so much for leaving your manufacturing world and coming in and having some, some merciful interactions with us in healthcare. And um, for anybody who's out there wanting to make change in your department, in the process of, of your practice, go check out thenewagreements.com and the 3D process and see if it, um, if it meshes with your philosophy as a leader in a way that maybe it could be a help to you and your people. Thanks, David. Thanks so much. Right, that's been this episode of the Physicians on Purpose podcast. Dyke Drummond here. We got some links to David's site down below. And until we're together again in another podcast, you keep breathing and have a great rest of your day.